You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, more combine prep. We're going to finish the top 100 on offense with the wide receivers and offensive line, plus we go around the web and catch up on some good content worth your time to go check out. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins We have a lot to get to on the show today, talking combine prep, finishing up the offensive side of the football, and the players we're watching for the purpose of those three day two picks, one in the second round, two in the third. But first, I spent some time this morning on the Google machine on Twitter, wherever I could find some material from some of my favorite writers and publications, and I found a couple. And first, this goes to a point that I've been making here on the podcast really since I started And it's just gotten better, so continuing that theme. But the process of roster building through the draft, trades, an aggressive approach to the veteran market on the heels of a couple of really good draft classes back in 2020 and 2021. And you might say, hey, 2020's first round wasn't great, but you also got uh, Brandon Jones, Robert Hunt, and Raekwon Davis out of that, So, and your franchise quarterback. So a pretty good draft class there, if you ask me. But also how this team really seems to have its finger on the pulse of its own self-scouting but also what the market has to offer. And that's before we even get into the cap wizardry, you know, Brandon Shore, shout out here on the podcast, that helps Greer and his staff maintain flexibility to address the needs that have been decided upon from the coaching and scouting staff. And Greer is so adept at getting what his coach needs that that flexibility really helps him do that. Let's go ahead and play some sound here from Chris Greer on that one and what was my one of my favorite sound bites from the end of the year press conference and really in general and just real quick this is Chris Greer uh the question was posed to him through the lens of free agents at the linebacker position which you'll hear him divulge on that point as well but the laugh right here is what really gets me yeah we we always have flexibility and we've done a lot of work to make sure we've maintained that so um what it is right now is not what it will be at the start of the season so um, you know, for us, well, like I said, we're going to keep going through a pro- uh, process here of evaluating everything. So um, I think guys, especially the defense, second half of the year played really well. You know, we were just talking about when Bradley came on, you know, our analytics, we just ran a study for us and we moved into like the top 10 of a top eight of a, like six of our like 12 metrics. We really the value for defense, um, just his impact coming in. So, um, and that's running pass. I know everyone likes to look at everything, but he's in. And then on the exit meetings today, some of the defensive guys were talking about how cool he was and what a good guy and work ethic, toughness, leadership. So 
Um, I think with all that, we look at it all. You know, Landon Roberts did a nice job showing leadership. You know, Baker, Duke, all those guys. Um, Channing, we're excited for his future in terms of development, which we kind of expected that this year, that it would be more of a special teams guy. And um, so I think where we are, and Sam did a nice job on special teams. I don't want to leave anyone out, but we're going to – that a position, because I know you're asking because there are a lot of free agents in that position, but um, we'll just keep doing our work and, and filling the holes like we always do. The reason I get a kick out of that and played that audio for y'all is because, I mean, it's just commonplace now that you have folks that cover the game that don't understand the questions they're asking to these people that do this stuff for a living. And so when you say, oh, the Dolphins don't have cap space, like, understand how it works and that the Dolphins can create that cap space, which caused the GM to laugh at that question. So uh, the point here about working hard to maintain that flexibility It's a puzzle that, frankly, fascinates me across the league, how all of this gets put together each year with your finite level of resources. Everybody gets the same resources. Go build the best thing you possibly can. Uh, It's fun to watch. It's, It's a big part of why I think we're all fans of this sport and of this league. But I think the Dolphins have found their secret sauce here with Chris Greer, and the process continues to be really good. I contend that you can't give me 10 teams that have drafted better since 2016. And go ahead and throw your arguments about the first round 2020 or the 2017 draft class but also when you do that make sure you look at every other draft in the NFL and realize how common that is and how uncommon it is to have draft classes like Miami has had in fact I would push that number closer to five you can't give me five teams that have drafted better than Miami since 2016 Uh, Tunzel X and Drake and Grant in that first year that is a phenomenal draft class 2017 was terrible 2018, I mean, I know we traded him away, but you got Minka Fitzpatrick, Mike Gesicki, Jerome Baker, Durham uh, Smythe, and Jason Sanders. That is a loaded draft class. It's fantastic. Then Christian Wilkins, Andrew Van Ginkle, and Miles Gaskin. I know, you know, that kind of tails off towards the end there, but to get a Pro Bowl-level defensive tackle and a really good special teamer slash situational rusher in a draft class where you kind of put your eggs in the 2020 basket by moving down and moving those assets to the future— it's a great draft class based upon the resources you had. Then 2020, Tua, Big Rob, Raekwon, Brandon Jones mentioned that. Then 2021 is the Coupe de Gras, Jalen, Jalen, and Javon. What an outstanding draft class that was. Like, you understand that most teams get one or two really productive players in each draft, right? Two being on the high side. Some teams go multiple drafts without getting impact players. A lot of teams get a couple of, you know, replacement level starters and no stars like that list of names I just gave you is full of stars it's full of plus starters it's full of the core of this football team it's why I contest that this roster we have right now is the best the organization has had in 20 years that 2002 team had eight pro bowlers and this 2022 team was pretty close to that mark not in the sense that we had six or seven pro bowlers but how many guys were just on the fringe of making the pro bowl two was the first alternate and would have gone had it not been for uh, skipping out because of the injury. Waddle was right there and frankly should have gone over J- uh, Jamar Chase. Christian Wilkins should have gone too if he was you know, a defensive tackle, not a defensive end. They were all right there. I thought Connor Williams, Robert Hunt, and Javon Holland all made a case to qualify as well. You get it. There are probably 10 to 12 players on this roster that you could legit see in the Pro Bowl next year. And that's why I wanted to bring this up because Pro Football Focus is unveiling their top 101 players of the 2022 season. And as of this taping on Thursday... They've gone through the top 26 players so far, so Tyreek Hill has not been listed yet. He'll be in the top 25. But here are the players on the Miami Dolphins that you have in the top 
uh, 25 through 100, I should say. Number 99 was Connor Williams, and the excerpt was that he played 1,127 snaps and allowed just 16 total pressures over 18 games. He was phenomenal all year long. Number 88, Teron Armstead. Injuries prevented Armstead from playing the whole season, but his impact when he was on the field was as noticeable as it can be for an offensive line. His 98.1 pass block efficiency was sixth among qualifying tackles. Number 66, wide receiver Jalen Waddell. With Tyreek putting up record-setting numbers in the Miami offense for much of the season, it's easy to ignore Waddell's continued success. Waddell almost doubled last year's yards per reception figure in the new offense, and passes thrown his way generated a 119.2 passer rating. Waddell was exceptional this year. Number 59, Jalen Phillips. Phillips had a similar sack total from his rookie year, but was outright dominant in his second year. His 77 total pressures, including playoffs, were top 10 among his position group. He also was top 20 in run stops. Phenomenal player. Number 58, one spot uh, higher, Christian Wilkins. Christian Wilkins. Uh, One of two interior players to log more than 1,000 snaps. That was Chris Jones of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, He led all defensive tackles with 55 run stops. And the number 45 was quarterback to Atungavailoa. Yeah, the quarterback that... uh, there's, for some reason, debate about out there, and I get salty on this topic every time it comes up, and we're going to do it again today. Uh, he was number 45 in terms of most impactful players this year from Pro Football Focus. He was leading an offense, they say, that was matching Kansas City and Buffalo's output until injuries interrupted and eventually ended his season. So there you go. That's uh, PFF has been doing these top 101 lists since 2010. The Dolphins have never had six players on the list. Tyreek will make it seven. What's the most they had in that time period? Any guesses for anybody out there? It wasn't one of the better teams we had. It was 2015 when they had Olivier Vernon at 21, Indomitian Sue at 27, Lamar Miller at 85, Jarvis Landry at 86, and Rashad Jones at 98. So having seven guys on that list, 32 teams, 101 spots, that's 3.15 spots per team. Miami more than doubled that. Not bad. Not bad at all. Let's go ahead and do a quick rip around the web before we dive into Pro Football Focus's top 100 draft prospects on the offensive line and wide receiver. We'll also go ahead and talk some quarterbacks too, and I'll give you my take on what I expect at the Combine. But there's some schedule talk from Peter King's Football Morning in America column. He also quoted us in our interview with Vic Fangio, so that was cool to see. But he wrote about potential week one, the opening night options to play the Chiefs when they hang the banner at Arrowhead. And he mentioned the really strong home schedule for the Chiefs that features their division rivals, obviously, with Denver, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles, games against the Bills and Bengals, and then us. And then also their NFC games with Chicago, Detroit, and Philly. He writes, it's unlikely they would do a Super Bowl rematch. He said they're not likely to do a uh, top-rated games, which takes away possibly Buffalo, maybe even Cincinnati. So it seems to me like the choices to this game are the divisional matchups. You know, I, I think the Chargers make a lot of sense. Uh, the Bengals make a lot of sense if they don't qualify in that Buffalo range ter- or that Buffalo territory. And then the Dolphins. I mean, Cincinnati to me makes the most sense. I mean, those teams have been talking a lot of trash. They've been going back and forth. But you also see CBS tends to protect those games, or if you get NBC later in the year. Because your season opener is going to do numbies regardless of who you put on there. So I think it's a possibility that we could see Miami and the Tyreek Hill return to Kansas City. That could be a storyline to watch. Tua coming back. You know, uh, Bradley Chubb is his first full year here. He used to play against the Chiefs twice a year. I just think it's a possibility. Even though the schedule for the Chiefs is so good, um, the Dolphins could potentially get that game. Who remembers the last time we played in that opening time slot? Anybody? 
2006 against Pittsburgh, rough night that was, huh? Uh, Joey Porter and Bill Cowher kissed on the sideline. That wasn't fun to watch. Peter King also mentions that KC has a game in Germany, and since 30 of the 34 international games of all time have not included divisional matchups, one of those, one of our home games in a divisional matchup, but I digress, he lists Chicago, 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 Detroit, and Miami as possible options there. He does rule out Cincinnati and Buffalo in those spots because he thinks those are going to be more for primetime slots, not early morning slots. Of course, this is all speculation on King's part, but I find it interesting and how the league views these premier games within the context of putting together their schedule. It's all generated through computers. It is very, very fascinating to me. Frankly, I just want to play someone besides New England on opening day three years in a row. I'm all about variety, and that's not very much variety. Next, ESPN produced a really good article from one of my favorite writers out there. I didn't actually know uh, that he wrote, but Matt Bowen is on NFL Matchup, for my money, their best show. They bury it like at 3 o'clock in the morning for some reason because I guess Stephen A. Smith yelling at people is better TV, I guess. I don't know. Uh, He's a high school football coach and also now a great writer, a true renaissance man, but he wrote about the best fit for his top 50 free agents on ESPN+, and he had just one player as the Dolphins as their best team fit, and it was running back Miles Sanders of your NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. Bowen writes, We have to see how the market develops for Sanders, who set career highs in rushing attempts, rushing yards, and touchdowns. He went 259 for 1,269 yards and 11 touchdowns for the Eagles. But there is an opening right now in Miami considering both Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert are scheduled to hit free agency. Sanders would fit in Mike McDaniel's heavily schemed run game and could see more usage as a wide receiver. Interesting stuff there. I do think we obviously need some running backs because all of our guys are free agents right now or heading into free agency in the new league year. And Miles Sanders is a great player. I think Raheem is a great player. So interesting to see what happens this year at the running back position. And additionally, he had the quarterback carousel going this way. Lamar, Geno, Smith, and Daniel Jones all stay where they are with the Ravens, Seahawks, and Giants. He had Derek Carr with the Saints and Jimmy G landing with the Jets. So that would be, I would like that. Let's do that. Uh, The latter portion is why I mentioned it. I think this is as close as we pay attention to the quarterback carousel as we have in a while because of the Jets' involvement. Uh, I just want to see the Jets strike out personally. That would be the preferred option. But also, go ahead and get Derek Carr, bring it on. It uh, doesn't, doesn't worry me either way, but it'd be funny to see him strike out. Uh, but it's the same reason we were so dialed in that 2021 draft class, knowing both the Jets and Pats were very much in the market for rookie quarterbacks at the time. And I love the way that draft class went, uh, especially for us and them. All right, there you go. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and do one position for each segment. Wide receivers and offensive line expected the workout in India and what we can expect from those workouts. Who, has the, who stands the best chance to improve their stock? All of that next on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. It's a Friday here ahead of Scouting Combine Week. It's already here. Just another reminder of how fast things seem to fly by these days. I think it happens with age, personally. Uh, for me, the, the years go by faster and faster. I think kids will do that to you as well. It just still feels like training camp was yesterday, and here we are talking, you know, 
flying headfirst towards the new league year, that always means a combination of free agent talk and draft prospect talk. And before you know it, pro days will be wrapping up and we'll be on to the draft and into OTAs and then into summertime and vacation time. Drinking it all through a fire hose, man, it happens fast. Let's get to the offensive line. First, a note, this to me is always the most interesting position group each year. It's such a need for so many teams. Really, every team has offensive line needs every year. Even the the Eagles will have to find a way if they can't bring back Isaac Somalu to replace their right guard because they were sensational all five spots this year on the offensive line. Spring a leak this year, you're going to have another need there. Every team has needs. So we get this crop picked clean pretty early each year in the draft. Like, you're always going to see a handful of offensive linemen and edges drafted in the first round. And with offensive line, there was that pretty significant dearth for a few years where there just wasn't that many guys coming off the board early and being productive as pros, like that 2013 draft class. We did get Lane Johnson and um, uh, Eric Fisher out of that. You know, I think Luke Jokel was also involved. That was supposed to be like a tackle-dominant draft class, but like that was it. And then there was years and years where it just didn't really produce a whole lot. And it was the same time where you saw pass rushers coming off the board and producing at high levels. And it, it really kind of slanted the way the game was played, I think, in terms of there's way more athletic, good pass rushers than there are offensive linemen. But I think that pendulum is beginning to swing back to closer to even. I won't call it even yet. But in this deep class, you're going to see guys come flying off the board uh, like they do every single year. I mean, just look at the balance of this year's top 100 list. You've got 13 total offensive linemen in there. Eight of those guys are top 50. If the players went off in this order, that's eight players gone before Miami comes up on the clock. So there's not really a sense, a lot of sense in spending tons of time on the guys that are pretty much locks to go top 25. You get surprises every year. But we know that Johnson, Skaronsky, Harrison, Torrance, those guys are going to be first-rounders. You get surprises, but you're going to hear those names fast and because, well, A, they're top-level prospects, and B, again, the offensive line demand across the league is so great every year. It's why, to me, landing two bona fide stars at their positions in Teron Armstead and Connor Williams last offseason is such a win at that position group. Uh, we were just unfortunate with production and injuries you know, from the, the younger players on the offensive line, we saw one guy really assert himself as a bona fide, you know, star in Rob Hunt and then um, Austin Jackson and Liam Eichenberg battled injuries. If you can get, you know, a, a good jump next year from one of those guys or Rob Jones, whoever it might be, that would be a massive, massive boon. But there's still some things to sort out on the offensive line. So with that, let's go ahead and get to it. And let's do these ones early quickly, because like I said, you're going to see five or six, maybe as many as seven of these guys go off the board in the first round. Uh, I think you could go all the way through PFF's 44th-ranked player, Darnell Wright, which is the seventh offensive lineman on their list. The number nine player overall is Parrish Johnson from Ohio State. Remember what Makai Becton did a couple years ago? That's what Parrish Johnson is probably going to do. He's a five-star recruit, and I read that when he was a junior in high school, he posted combine numbers or workout numbers that would have ranked fifth at that year's uh, combine, 2018. It's, a, it's a, absurd for a high schooler. Length, get-off, anchor, he has every single tool. He's going to blow the combine away. Number 13, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern. Now, he's the second tackle off the board here for the PFF list, but he's my first because the workout stuff is nice, but he's the closest thing we've seen to Rashawn Slater since he came out and ironically the same school in terms of plug him in and you can set and forget. He's going to be top. He's not going to be top of the charts in Indy, but his tape is the best. And watch the rabbit drill if they still do that. That's where the uh, defensive lineman goes back and forth and tries to knock the offensive line off balance as he changes direction. You'll see how seamless his weight transfer and balance are in that drill. 
Number 21 from Oklahoma, Anton Harrison. He is as smooth as they come, man. Covers a ton of ground with his kick slide. All of his mechanics are perfectly aligned. I think he'll test well in the jumping and running numbers. And I don't think bench press measures applicable strength, but I am curious to see what he does there because there just wasn't a lot of head-up, blowing defenders off the ball type of reps at Oklahoma. And uh, his knock has been like his strength and his anchor. So curious to see how that holds up. If, it, if you see it at all in, at the Combine, I don't think you really do because it's, it's more of an underwear Olympics. Number 24, Broderick Jones is a tackle from Georgia. I think he's going to time incredibly well because of the training portion of the calendar. And I say that because you go back and watch his tape and he like rolls his jersey up. Dude's got like six pack abs at 300 and whatever, 20 pounds he is. Uh, with no fat on him, I just think that there's functional strength on tape and the ability to kind of trim that down and, and run well is more about your training. And I, I trust that he'll do that really well. Uh, and if he does that, he could shoot in the top 15, probably does if you ask me. Osiris Torrance from Florida is far and away the best interior offensive lineman in this class. Scheme diverse, has the look of a classic man power scheme road grader, but I think if you put him in a box, that would be a mistake. I think he'll show you just how athletic he is and how quick off the ball he is with excellent jumping and running numbers next week. Osiris Torrance also was great at the Senior Bowl. Uh, Number 43, Cody Motch from North Dakota State. We talked with Kyle Krabs about him quite a bit, was really good at the Senior Bowl, can play inside and out, did all of it at North Dakota State, even played the pivot the center position at the senior bowl incredibly athletic he's going to time very well too uh tackle darnell wright talked about him from tennessee really good player pure strength his snap trap move where or snatch trap move i should say where he just goes out and gets the pass rusher and kind of just pulls him to the ground like use that lean against those guys it's flawless he uses it all the time he was a brick wall at tennessee i think one of the biggest names to watch because i don't think he'll time well but if he does it'll catapult him well into the first round big week for darnell wright Cooper Beebe from Kansas State, admittedly not familiar with his game or his tape. It'll be a surprise for me, as it is for you, but number 49 on their list here of uh, top 100 players. Number 55, Minnesota's John Michael Schmitz. He's an interior offensive lineman. I thought he showed you the quickness off the ball in Mobile with regularity, reaching some of the best defensive tackles with consistency during that whole week of practice. He could push to be the second interior offensive lineman off the board with a good week in Indy, and I think he can do it. Number 71 overalls tackle Matthew Bergeron. Again, Kyle Krabs, you heard him. He loved Bergeron's tape from Syracuse. Uh, Tons of good tape and pass pro. I think his on-field drills are the more important aspect of the combine for him, more so than his testing metrics. I think scouts are going to want to see his change in direction and balance that you get from that rabbit drill again and also leaning and hitting those bags that they go through. Uh, Number 87's tackle Blake Freeland from BYU. If there's a true outside zone tackle in this class, it's Freeland. I would be uh, really intrigued by him on day three. I know we don't have a pick until like this seventh round, so you'd have to finagle and move around because it's probably a a fourth rounder that's going to be required for a player like Freeland because he needs some development, seasoning, and and NFL strength training because he's so quick and so athletic, just not a lot of good tapes in terms of holding up against bull rushes and power and and moving guys in the running game. If he can kind of put that together as part of his game, then he can be a big-time player good developmental prospect there from BYU. I like the way those guys are always coached. They always play the, the, the game the right way. Uh, number 90, tackle Dewan Jones. I'm so intrigued by this guy. Another guy who can really improve his stock with a big workout from Ohio State. He's the biggest person in this class. Seven foot five wingspan, 360 pounds. And that comes with sacrificial athletic ability. Like it, you're not going to be as quick in that regard. Kind of reminds me of Phil Lodeholt 
years and years ago from Oklahoma. Probably a day two pick right now, but if he tests well, it's going to really increase his stock. He was fantastic at the Senior Bowl, too. Number 95, interior Steve Avila from Texas Christian. Also a great Senior Bowl week, had a good playoff run, great mechanics, fantastic pad level and mobility within his crouch and his stance. Uh, his pure mass allows him to wall off and pass bro. He was, you couldn't get around him in Mobile which is obviously a great trait to have. But I'm curious to see how he tests and how that impacts his draft stock. They have number 95 overall, which obviously fits at the end of day two. Number 96 is Luke Weipler from Ohio State. Uh, again, full transparency, not really familiar with his game. Ohio State only produces athletes and movers. The entire OSU offensive line was great. And when I watched their tape, there's like eight guys you have to watch. And when you have Connor Williams, center's probably one of the last spots you watch. So I didn't watch much of it, but he should test pretty well because uh, they, they, that's what they tell me. That's what the draft community tells me. Another deep class, full of variety, good inside and outside. And I think, again, you can expect the same thing we get most years with guys going off the board quickly on night one into day two. The offensive line position this year for Miami in the offseason is one of the trickiest ones to me because I don't know. you got the irons in the fire for development. You know you have three really good players that you can trust and put them in their spots, and they're going to give you good production. You, you didn't get a, a good look at Liam or Austin this year because of injuries, and you know it was a, a, a build for Liam to get to the point that he was when he did get injured, uh, kind of improving as the year went along. I still think Rob Jones is a heck of a player. We've got some guys on futures contracts and guys to look at in depth-wise, and we'll see what happens to Eric Fisher. But between free agency and what's out there with you know Mike McGlinchey, Isaac Somalu, do you go in that direction? Do you try to draft another guy to kind of add to that Liam and Austin mix? I'm really curious to see what it looks like. Bringing back Brandon Shells, maybe a swing tackle. I don't know. I'm curious to see what it looks like. But this class is uh, one to keep an eye on because Miami's always in the, in the market for offensive linemen, as most teams typically are. Let's go ahead and take our second break and come back on the other side and talk about wide receivers. We'll also talk a little bit of quarterbacks. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Back here on a Friday, and I kind of realized going through this combine prep project that I didn't block off the quarterbacks because, well, we have a quarterback, and <clears throat> I haven't watched the tape on these guys, but I wanted to give you just a quick run-through because uh, you guys know I used to be pretty pretty involved in this whole draft scouting stuff and it would put my thoughts on Twitter a lot more than I do now. I think a lot of you probably remember that and want to hear more about that. Maybe. If not, let me know, too. That's fine. But... um. Dolphins are not going to draft any of these guys in the first round, right? Like, that's, that's not going to happen. They don't have a first-round pick. Uh, they have their quarterback. But I, I do think it's important to have an idea about the quarterbacks coming into the league and who will potentially change the league over the next couple of years. And there's five guys in this class that stand to go. Check that. Four guys that stand to go pretty early in this year's draft class. And this year's draft class kind of challenges my conventional thinking behind the quarterback position because – Traditionally, I have been kind of a tools first, figure the rest out later. That's why I was so amped up on Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming. I think I was telling everybody that I could, this guy's going to change the way we view quarterback play. I was a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. In fact, I told my buddy, always take Texas Tech in college because 
Mahomes is just that kind of guy although the rest of that team was not very good. So I nailed those picks. I was a huge Lamar Jackson fan. The athletic ability that he pre- presented was was phenomenal. But it seems like when I try to go towards more of the, you know, playing the position of quarterback, it's that's where I get myself in some trouble sometimes. Uh, Baker Mayfield was really great that way. Didn't really pan out in that direction. I, I think I was spot on with Josh Rosen saying I didn't see it with his game. He was too late and just didn't quite get through things fast enough. So you always come down to this thing like, do you want the traits or do you want the tape of the guy it's basically it's Tua because you know Tua is not Josh Allen from a physical standpoint, but I'd rather have Tua in the way that he processes and, and diagnoses defenses and anticipates and his accuracy. I like all those traits from Tua better than I do from Josh Allen. So what's your preference? It's, I mean, the scramble off you know off script type of uh, broken play stuff that equates to like maybe five percent of your total plays on a given Sunday. The, the true pocket passing is where the game really is won from. And you saw Patrick Mahomes do that in the Super Bowl. You saw Jalen Hurts do that in the Super Bowl. So without having gone through the All-22 on these guys and just watching their college games you know, on broadcast this year, I, I have this thought. I think, to me, Anthony Richardson is by far the most intriguing prospect. I would take him number one overall. Uh, it, you know, The Bears have Justin Fields. I wouldn't go off of that. But I would take Richardson number one if I was the Texans to trade up or got him at number two. To me, he has the highest upside and the most to work with. Uh, I just think that he's a freak. I don't think he's there yet in the way C.J. Stroud is. I think C.J. Stroud is the best pure thrower in terms of his accuracy and the way he can kind of get the arm to different slots and, and layer the football and touch the football and locate it the way he wants to. Having that type of control over the football is critical. He's not the big scrambler, not the big off-script guy, but I think that he would be my next guy in this class based upon that. I just think that he's he really plays the position at a high level. He's seen a lot. He understands route concepts and, and how to attack vulnerabilities and defense. Big fan of his game. He would be my next choice. My next guy is Will Levis, and he's kind of a blend of the two. I think he's tough as hell. I think he's a a really good leader and team captain. He has that scramble ability. He is a big, big dude that can take the the NFL punishment you get. Um, But I haven't really watched the tape to kind of go through of of what I like about his, you know, post and pre-snap acumen, but there's a lot to chew on there in terms of the physical traits. And then I'm just not really buying the Bryce Young stuff. I mean, I think he's very undersized, which usually is not a thing for me, but wait till we see what he weighs in at the combine. It's not going to be very much, I don't think, unless it's water weight. Um, I think a lot of the off-script stuff you saw from him was really excelled against the lower-level college football teams. I think you see him against a Georgia. It's a little bit different uh, in terms of how he plays against those guys. So I just, I'm not really big on his game. I, I love Anthony Richardson. I'm a big fan of C.J. Stroud. I'm very intrigued by Will Levis. Not really into the Bryce Young uh, camp, but we'll see. I'll, I'll probably watch that tape closer to the draft and have a better opinion then. But that's what, that's my kind of bird's eye view of the scouting process there. Um, I, let's let's put it this way: if the Jets get in the quarterback market, I don't want to see them get Anthony Richardson. Don't really want to see him get C.J. Stroud. Don't really want to see him get Will Levis. That's kind of how I look at the way I view this quarterback class. When Miami's not going to be involved in it. Let's go back to the receiver position and finish up the offense here. The point I made about the offensive line and how fast they go off the board, it's the same with edge defenders. I think wide receivers probably next in that regard. Now, receivers have by far had the biggest hit rate in the first round over the last half decade or so. But again, this is why I think the Tyreek and Bradley Chubb trades were just so damn smart in terms of maximizing the value of those late first round picks. I said it on a previous podcast. We were looking at wide receiver five with that pick that we use on Tyreek Hill. Who was that? Christian Watson. 
uh, four off the board before we would have picked. Same deal this year. That pick we used on Chubb would have been 29th. Care to guess how many edge defenders are ranked higher than 29th on PFF's top 100 board? The answer is six. So edge seven or Bradley Chubb? And that doesn't include someone like Jalen Carter, who's the number one overall player as an interior guy who can play anywhere. But for the sake of the argument, do you want Edge 7 or Bradley Chubb? I know my answer. Now, with wide receivers, it seems like each year we have classes that somehow topped the previous year. 2021 was the pinnacle of that. I don't think that class is ever going to be topped. Waddle, Chase, Smitty, and St. Brown is absurd, especially when you factor in the fact that Kyle Pitts is kind of a receiver. And if he gets you know a quarterback and an offense tailored to his skill set, we might get a chance to see that at some point. Uh, hey, give give the ball to Kyle Pitts, Atlanta. What are you doing? You can make a case that all of those guys were top 10 receivers in the league, the four guys I mentioned. That's wild. Now, this year, at number 15 overall is the top receiver, Quentin Johnson from TCU. You saw him in the playoff. He was a great player in those that Michigan win for TCU. The clear-cut number one for his combination of size and downfield big playability, those two things don't really go together very often. I think the reason he's the top dog in this class is because he separates himself in the physical tools department on top of being very polished in the areas that I think are most inter- integral to good wide receiver play, release, understanding of spacing, making every route look the same but also different. Six foot four, 215 pounds, 18.8 yards per catch. GPS clocked him at 21 miles per hour this year. He'll jump out of the building in Indy, long gone by the time Miami picks. Really good-looking prospect from TCU. Zay Flowers from Boston College is number 19 overall. He's getting some freaking hype, man. This is the guy that could have that monster workout that turns heads. An absolute jitterbug in and out of breaks. Really pure, natural separator. Going to annihilate the short shuttle in three cone times. You'll notice during the on-field drills that every step he takes is intentional, and he accelerates through each cut. I think he could go, could go under 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. Jackson Smith and Jigba is number 20 overall from Ohio State. One of my favorite players in this entire class. It's funny, man. Ohio State receivers... They come into the league every year and just, like, kill it. Going back to Michael Thomas, uh, Terry McLaurin is easily a top-ten receiver in the NFL. We got Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave last year. Now we get Smith and Jigba. Next year we'll get Marvin Smith or Marvin Harrison Jr. For Smith and Jigba, to me, he's a lot like his predecessors. I don't think the combine workout will do his stock what his tape does. He's not a burner, but his short area quickness is fantastic. Uh, I think he's the best separator in the class, the best route runner. If he gets in the low 4-4s, four he's a lock to go off the board early. Big-time combine for Jackson Smith and Jigba. Number 23, Jordan Addison from USC. He was the Blitnikoff winner two years ago in Pittsburgh. This class does not fall far from its own tree in the sense that the skill sets to me are pretty similar. Smooth operator, runs every route, and produces at a high clip. His balance and total control of his body makes me think he'll do really well in the speed, balance, and change of direction testing. It's kind of Chris Chambers the way he works the sidelines. Might be the most natural wide receiver in this class. Number 38, Josh Downs from North Carolina. Now we're talking burners. His shake, his ability to throttle down and then hit the accelerator. Very crafty route runner, can kind of do some hesitation steps to, to throw DBs off and then, boom, hits that acceleration and he's gone. He tested at 4.47 and a 42-inch vertical upon first arriving at UNC. I think when he trains that 40 time, you can get it closer to a, to a true 4.4. Just watch his feet during the drills in Indy, some of the smoothest in the entire class. A couple of years ago, I was very high on 2-2 at will. Tank Dell from Houston is number 47 on PFF's big board, and he's going to test that similar 
Uh, how small is too small to play at this level? True speed merchant was uncoverable at the senior bowl with quickness and the extra gear. And he'll need to time well because he's just five foot 10, 165. That's freaking my size. Uh, I'd be shocked if we don't see him get under four, four. He was pretty damn good with the ball in his hands too. So that's reasonable to assume he kills the shuttle and three cone as well. But, um, if you can't touch him, it doesn't matter how small he is. That's kind of how Tank Dell has to play at the next level. Number 59, Parker Washington from Penn State. He competed at the opening, the, the Nike uh, testing challenge, whatever it's called, out of college. Just a 4'6", 140, but 38.5-inch vert, 10'5 broad, and a 4'1 shuttle. Those are low for me based upon his tape, meaning I think he'll do much better. But he was pure electricity this year at Penn State. I did see that he could potentially skip workouts till his pro day because he had a season-ending injury this last season. Number 66, Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee. You probably saw him in the end zone against Alabama during that game of the year. Five touchdowns for him there. Uh, watch the South Carolina tape, though, and just see how much they respected his tape putting the roof on top of the defense. He can fly. He needs to test well because his tape against press coverage showed that he needs some seasoning there. He only had one catch against press all year. But, man, when they created free releases for him, he was able to access that speed. Just watch out. He should be in the running for the fastest 40 time this year. He can fly. Number 78, uh, Rasheed Rice from SMU. I think his combination of size and speed could have him near the top of the wide receiver RAS scorecard when it's all said and done. Six foot two, and he's built. And you see that in the way he plays through contact and doesn't really get you know knocked off his route very often. I think his explosiveness and his movement translate to some of the most uh, massive numbers you'll see on the vert and board this year or the broad, I should say. If he gets into the 4-4s, that would be a huge win for Rice this year. Number 84, Jalen Hyatt's teammate, Cedric Tillman from Tennessee. The perfect complement to Hyatt at Tennessee. He wins with physicality. He'll test better in the strength and speed metrics. Six foot three, 215 pounds will attract a team that's in need of a physical X receiver. And then number 89, Jalen Marino Cropper from Fresno State. Again, going to be honest with you guys, not familiar with his tape, but he ran some wildcat, some running back snaps, some slot wide. The Fresno offense really funneled through his game. Five foot 11, roughly 175. I know that type of versatility paired with good testing times could really boost his stock. So there you go. That's the offense. The last couple of podcasts here covering the top 100 players in this year's draft, according to PFF. It's an intriguing class for the receiver position. We'll see what Miami's room looks like after free agency. Both Sherfield and Craycraft are free agents. We've got Ezukama and Sanders heading into year two. What does the organization feel about them? Obviously, Tyreek and Jalen gives you the best one-two in football, maybe of all time. I tend to think this position group in the draft won't present the best value on day two compared to what we talked about on Wednesday with the running backs and tight ends and even earlier with our offensive line segment. But that's always speculation until we get to the actual draft, and it's what always makes the draft so intriguing to me. Interesting class. Excited to see these guys work out. So we've done the entire offense, and I tend to think that that'll be your best bet with the 52nd pick. Who knows? That's not a sure thing, but I think between the potential of Jameer Gibbs, you know, Luke Musgrave, Darnell Washington, Cody Motch, Darnell Wright, that's kind of the vein I'm going to hop into. The way this roster is set up, the way things have gone the last few years, you know, several draft picks for a couple of years, followed by aggressive uh, pursuits of veterans on the trade market. To me, spending your free agent cap you have available on high-level players at cheaper positions like off-ball linebacker, safety, tight end, guard, running back, and then drafting the more premium positions where you can inflict better cost control, that might be the best route here. So from that, I I guess Darnell Wright is the only one from that group that satisfies that criteria. To me, this is the trickiest offseason to project from the last several offseasons here for your Miami Dolphins. All right. We have one more podcast before we get to Indianapolis. That'll be on Monday. Then we are going to have a bunch of content from the Combine. I have plenty of 
big heavy hitters in the industry lined up for interviews. In the meantime, y'all enjoy your weekend. And if you're around, come out to DCC and help cheer on all of our awesome athletes and participants. Uh, it's a great, great cause. It's Saturday. The Fish Tank guys and myself are going to be out there doing a, a show, I believe, from 10 to noon, doing some content. So come on out. We'll hopefully we'll see you all there. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and all kinds of content up there, including the Vic Fangio sit-down. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron Daddy.